We're looking at Galatians. We will read from Acts, but we're going to look at Galatians chapter 2 today. But our text will be Acts chapter 15 uh, as far as what we read. So look up Acts 15 verse 1 and we'll be in Galatians chapter 2. Yes. Yes. Go ahead. Chapter 15, we'll be looking at in a moment. I want to just say a couple of things. Um, I was uh, <clears throat> reading about, uh, you know, legalism in churches. And, of course, this is about the legalists that uh, try to infiltrate the church and say you have to be circumcised and you have to obey the law after you're saved. And, of course, we know the law was blotted out. The handwritten ordinances, ordinances were nailed to the cross. So we know we're not under the law anymore. But a lot of times in today's church, people want to add things, you know, and put all kinds of restrictions and rules. I've been in churches. In fact, I took a church one time. They had a stack of rules for each department, and there were so many rules. It was confusing. I was breaking them, and I just took the whole mess and threw it in the garbage. Now, we're supposed to be separated from the world. I understand that. We, we want to preach separation and live it. But to say that, uh, you know, I've, I've had people say, well, we need a lot of rules because grace, people take advantage of grace and so forth. To say that grace and legalism go together is like saying a taxidermist and a veterinarian are the same. You get your dog back in both cases, but in one case the dog's dead and stuff, and the other he's alive and well. So you just can't, you just can't say that, that legalism and rules ever help a church. I just don't find that. I think when people are in sin, what the Bible declares to be sin, we need to confront that. That's what the Bible says. And so uh, I just the, the Judaizers, they were going to hurt the church. And Paul wrote here in Galatians, and he talked about his own calling. It was independent from the calling of the apostles. They were confronted face-to-face by Jesus and called to follow him, where Paul just saw the brightness on the Damascus road of the Lord. 
And so he's defending his apostleship, his salvation. In this chapter, he'll talk about his unity with the other brethren that he finally got to know. And uh, this took place, Galatians was written just before uh, the, the, just, just before Paul and Barnabas had split up over John Mark. You know, John Mark left the group and Barnabas wanted to bring him back and they had a split. And Galatians is an interesting book because now you'll find him confronting Peter, putting him in his place. That's what I love about the Bible is you get the good, the bad, and the ugly. You find out about even those we look up to who wrote scripture had a problem with sin just like we do. In fact, so many Bible characters are in the Bible as bad examples. And we learn from that. But Paul talks about 14 years had gone by and God had revealed to him to go to Jerusalem. And Luke tells us he went there on five different occasions to meet with the Jerusalem council. He calls them in verse 2 of our text, we'll look at later, those of the reputation. In fact, several phrases in Galatians. Uh, he talks about the, the, the council. He talks about the, um, them that seemed to be somewhat and those who were pillars and how he'd gone to meet with the church leaders of Jerusalem council. The Jerusalem council was an established council after Jesus Christ to kind of keep doctrine straight in a place where you could go and be confronted or bring people and take people and have them confronted about something that was wrong. And, and so Paul made several trips to the council. It was not the Sanhedrin council. The Sanhedrin, they were Jews. They were not believers. And there were 35 Pharisees and 35 Sadducees. Sanhedrin is a word meaning 70. And they had the high priest. So he's having to go to the council several times about this matter of salvation by grace plus nothing and minus nothing. Because the Jews wanted to add something. So if you have uh, your, your passage in Acts, if you'll stand with me, we'll read that. We'll read verse Acts. I love this little poem. Though the cover is worn and the pages are torn, and though places bear traces of tears, yet more precious than gold is this book worn and old, and it'll scatter and shatter my fears. Stay in this book. All the answers are here. In chapter 15, verse, verse 1, it says, And certain, mitch, and certain men which, which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except you be circumcised, Circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. Verse 2. When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and uh, disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to, the, to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. And then look at verse 5. It says here, But there arose certain of the sect of the Pharisees, which believed, saying that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. God bless us. We thank you, God, for helping us to understand the clarity of the gospel. Simple truth that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. That he as a sinless sacrifice could pay the payment with his blood for my sin. And that he was buried and that he rose again on the third day. And that's the gospel. And we thank you for our faith in Jesus Christ who accomplished it all at Calvary. Bless us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. And we're looking at our text, and we realize Paul's about to go in verse 2 to those uh, who are of the reputation. He's going to go to Jerusalem and meet with these counselors. And I like that about Paul. He wants some accountability, so he's going to do what they said to do and, and go. And he was ready to say, look, it's not about salvation and circumcision. It's about Jesus Christ alone. But he got there, and certainly he was pleasantly surprised to find out the council agreed that circumcision was not 
necessary. And, and today we have folks that teach a lot of things that are necessary to be saved, but that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that nothing else is needed other than Jesus Christ. And so we're thankful for the gospel. And he mentions, of course, Titus and Barnabas in verse 1. He talks about, in verses 1 and 2, about uh, going up with Barnabas. That Barnabas and John Mark were the two people who traveled with him on his first missionary journey. Barnabas, you know, we first find him in Acts chapter 4. He's a wealthy man. He a Levite with money. He sold his land and gave every dime of the profits of his land, all, of, all the money for the land itself, to the church because he wanted to help poor people. And Paul will address the need for helping poor people in this chapter as well. But here he sold everything. And his name, Barnabas, really meant encourager, consoler. And he was a preacher that encouraged and consoled. And uh, he was sent to Jerusalem to encourage and, and to uh, lift people up. He was a great, event, great leader and, and a, a great man in, in the work of God. And then, of course, Titus, as you know, went with Paul on his third missionary journey, along with Timothy and Gaius and Luke, the loved, beloved physician. He was here, and he, me- he mentions him as well. He mentions him in verse 3, but neither Titus, who was with me being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. So Titus would not need to be circumcised. He wasn't compelled to be circumcised. And Paul said it's just not necessary. He's a Gentile. There's no need for him to be circumcised. By the way, I find it interesting that we circumcise, uh, you know, babies in the Bible. Uh, they said to circumcise on the eighth day. And that's what Scripture says. And on the eighth day, God knows that blood clotting begins so those little babies wouldn't bleed to death. Now we have chemicals we put in there. But circumcision, again, one of those scientific facts in the Bible for hundreds and thousands of years that uh, scientists didn't even discover until the modern era. It's sort of like Isaiah knowing the world was round. And Jude, Jude knowing, you know, Job, excuse me, knowing the, the moon is just a reflector, not a light. Well, we didn't discover that until we had the modern telescope, the Hubble telescope. So all these things, I just find it interesting. But he's saying here, Titus is not compelled to be circumcised. He's not going to do it. It's not necessary. And then he gets to the heart of the matter. And that because of false brethren, unawares brought in. False brethren unawares brought in. Now Jude said that Jude said creeps crept in unaware. Here it says these guys, these false brethren were were brought in. It says here unawares, so they were kind of helped in. Uh, a, te- a military word meaning uh, to infiltrate. In fact, the Greek word we know the word para. We have a parachute. We have a paragraph. It means to come close to. So these false teachers came in without anyone, anyone really realizing it, they came in next to somebody. You know, if we were to have someone here come in who's a false teacher, maybe they're a relative of a church member or a, uh, someone's a close friend, and, and they walk in and everybody automatically trusts them because of their relationship with someone in our church, and then they begin to teach false teaching false doctrine, we have to say, hold on a minute. This is not right. But that's how they crept in the church here, the churches of Galatia. Now look at Revelation chapter 2 and verse 2 with me just briefly, and Revelation 21 verse 8 as well. But in Revelation chapter 2, this same Greek word is used here, and here it's translated a little differently. Here it's translated liars, false brethren, 
And, and John, when John writes over in, in uh, John chapter 2, he says here in verse 2, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which, are, which say they are apostles and are not and hast found them liars. So what are false brethren? They're liars. Revelation 21.8 says no liar will have his place in heaven. Now you say, well, I tell lies sometimes, Pastor. But never after being a Christian are you ever classified again as a sinner, as a liar, as an adulterer. You may commit some of those sins, but you're still a child of God. You're still a saint in God's eyes. He'll whip you. He'll chasten you when you do that stuff. But, you know, the Bible never calls you a liar. Your spouse may call you a liar. You may call your kids a liar. We shouldn't call names, but we should say you're lying. That's okay. But never are we called liars. And here, here uh, Paul, as he's writing of the inspiration of God, he calls them false brethren, and that could be translated as liars. And they came in, they snuck in deceitfully. And he says here in verse 4, they came in to spy out our freedom. To spy out our freedom. To spy on them, that word, we get our word microscope. To, to, you ever have someone say, well, he kind of, Put me under a microscope. The guy's always looking at me. That's why they came in the church. To see if, if they were enjoying these freedoms and they shouldn't enjoy freedoms. You ever meet someone who's a Christian and they're so unhappy you think, what is wrong with this person? They actually live their life to be miserable like Christianity is a big burden. That's not how Christianity is portrayed in Scripture. We are free from sin. We are free from the world and the handwritten ordinances of the Old Testament. We're free in Christ. I remember the church that I told you, I had a stack of rules there. I had about 350 people and they had all kinds of rules. We were breaking them all the time. No earrings bigger than a dime was one of the rules. No uh, skirts with, with, made of jean material because that's masculine. Well, I wouldn't wear that skirt. And all these rules and I, I threw them in the garbage and our attendance more than doubled. Because people were free. And they didn't know how to really take their freedom. But you're free in Christ. You're not free to sin or do anything against this book. But you're free in Christ from all the rules and man-made doctrines of men. You're free from all that. I've had my fill of that. And uh, Paul here, it's interesting because... He will talk about freedom, and yet Paul will give up his rights for others. He says in verse 5 here, first of all, as far as the doctrine, he's not going to give him an inch. He said, to whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. He wasn't going to give in to legalism because he knew it was wrong. But now you'll see what Paul does give in and do sometimes. I find it interesting. But he's not going to give in. Phillips translates this, we didn't need... An inch, we didn't give them an inch. Don't give someone an inch in your life who's making you feel miserable about, about being a Christian. I mean, being a Christian is the most wonderful experience in my life. And I have to obey this book in its entirety. But I'm not going to sit under someone who gives me a bunch of rules that I can't find in Scripture to live up to their expectations. There's only one person I have to please, and that's my Lord. And if the Lord tells me something, he sometimes gives us a conviction that others don't have, and he makes me feel uncomfortable doing something, I'm not going to do that. It may not even be in the Bible, but the Holy Spirit may say, Dan, that's wrong for you. 
So I don't exercise freedom when the Holy Spirit says something's wrong in my life. And uh, so Paul says here now in verse 6, he says, But of these who seem to be somewhat, talking about those called pillars and those of the reputation, he says seem to be somewhat twice in this verse, it maketh no matter to me. God, God's not a respecter of persons is what he says here. It doesn't matter to me. He says, I'm willing and glad to give up some of my liberties for others. But he was not going to give up the truth of the doctrine of salvation, which is grace plus nothing minus nothing. You can't add to salvation. We're saved by faith in Jesus Christ. Doesn't matter what the cults say. Doesn't matter what the false teachers say. We're free in Christ. Look at Romans chapter 14. Because I want to talk to you just a few minutes about our liberties in Romans chapter uh, 14, verses 19 through 23. It's interesting because we talk about things being sinful. And we, we know what the Bible classifies as sin. Nine of the Ten Commandments are repeated in the New Testament. The only one not repeated is the Sabbath day. So we know those commandments still hold today. We obey those commandments. And there's 645, uh, 613 laws in the Old Testament. 365 of them are negative. But 245 are kind of positive. And then all the things in the New Testament clearly stated that are right and wrong. So we need to obey the Bible. And there's plenty to obey. I'll tell you, there's plenty in here. But there are other things that the gray areas that we're not sure about. And each one of us will make a different decision on a gray area. You and I won't agree on every little thing. In fact, we probably wouldn't find two people in this audience to agree on every little thing in the Bible. A husband and a wife get married, and immediately they realize they don't agree on everything. Your kids don't agree with you on everything. Any, any Christian who's in his word, in his book, in this Bible, doesn't agree 100% with someone else because we have certain things that are personal. Personal convictions, and the Lord leads us unique, and, and each of us in a different way. But Paul says here something that's interesting in chapter 14 of Romans. Let me read this. He said, Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace, and the things therefore which one may edify another. For meat destroys not the work of God. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for that man who eateth with offense. It is good neither to eat flesh, nor to drink wine, nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth. And is offended or is made weak. Hast thou faith? Have it to, the, to thyself before God. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in that which he alloweth. And he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is of sin. So we talk about the sins that are listed in the Bible, clearly laid out. And then there's these gray areas. And so we can sin sometimes without violating something that's clearly stated in the Bible. Remember, Paul said in Hebrews 12, let us lay aside every sin and weight which hinders us in this agonizing race. The word agony is the word race. So there are things that aren't sinful. Is it sinful to play video games? No. Is it it sin? Sin to play video games? No. Is it sinful to go to the gym and work out? Is it sinful to watch ball games on TV or watch TV? No. How does that become sinful? Because too much of your time is spent 
I used to lift weights, and I remember we had this spa and all mirrors around, and you can go by and really look at yourself. <laughs> now I go by. And, and there's nothing wrong with working out. But when you're working out five nights a week for three hours because you're so infatuated with your own body and you're not spending the time you need to spend with your family in the Word, serving the Lord, then it becomes a weight, and that is therefore sinful. Right? What else may be sinful? Paul talks about this in Romans. If you do anything that offends a weaker brother, you're sinning. For instance, let's say I lead a Jewish man to the Lord. And he just gets saved. And I say, let's go to lunch. And I get to lunch and I order the greasiest pork I can order and eat it in front of him. That may cause him to to stumble, to be offended, because all his life he's been taught that pork is unclean, and here's the preacher who led me to Jesus. He's eating barbecue, and the grease is dripping off his chin. That may be offensive to him. So I would be wrong in doing that in his presence. Do you understand? That would be sinful for me. Is it sinful for me to enjoy barbecue? No. So you may have some liberties in your life, some freedoms, but you may have to be careful to not offend someone who doesn't have that same freedom as you have. While we have liberty, we cannot offend people. While we have the freedom to work out, we cannot do too much of it. So doing things that offend others is sinful. And spending too much time on things in this world that aren't important can be offensive. Years ago, uh, we knew someone in our church. The guy worked like 60, 70 hours a week. And uh, he didn't want to be home with his wife. After we met her, we understood why. But her complaint was that he's never home. His complaint was try to live with her for a few minutes. But the fact of the matter, he could have done it better. He could have said, well, I'm not going to spend all that time away from home. I'm going to find a way to reach out to my wife and meet her emotional needs, look her in the eye and listen to her and care about her needs and maybe it'll help our marriage. So he had a choice to make. Live at work, sometimes when he didn't have anything to do, or go at home and try to work at marriage. Marriage is work. Did you know that? Guys kind of get to the altar and think it's a done deal now. She said yes. I'm going out fishing every weekend. She's going to make the meals and cook them and wait there for me. That doesn't work that way. You know, you have to work very hard to make mama happy. You really do. And some of you are looking at me like, I didn't know that. Well, you better get that. It's about time for you to get it. But we we can sin by offending others. We can sin by doing things in excess that aren't necessary. So there's a lot of things to consider here. But we cannot ever give in on the fundamental truth of the salvation of Jesus Christ. Paul's point is, I'm not going to tolerate people teaching you have to be circumcised to be saved. And he wasn't going to give in on that because that's a priority. But Paul says, I can give up my liberties, my freedoms for others. And yet we all have different convictions One man, Romans talks about, one man will eat meat with a clean conscience and be free to eat meat. And the other guy, he can't eat meat, he feels too guilty. Paul says, then abide by your convictions. Each of you need to do what you're convicted of. And don't judge each other. 
I, I remember vividly people in our church. Uh, I was new, and uh, someone gets saved, and we had people baptized. I've told you. 50 Sundays out of 52 for seven straight years. We had people saved. Military people are hungry. They're away from home. Uh, it wasn't me or a great choir. It was just the Holy Spirit. These guys were willing and ready to be saved because they're away from home. They're nervous. It's a strange country. And they would get saved. A lot of people say, we always had people that were willing to disciple them. And sometimes I have to say, no, you can't disciple anymore. Because the whole discipleship time they spent with a person was telling them their personal convictions and their rules and how you need to do all these things to be a good Christian. You wear this, you wear that, you carry this, you you do this and do that, and you'll be a good Christian. And that's a big bunch of malarkey. Christianity is an experience of a relationship with Jesus Christ. You want to be a good Christian, you spend time with Jesus, you'll become a good Christian. In his word, in prayer, and listening to that voice of the Holy Spirit that says, don't do that. Sometimes he tells us not to do something and we're like, it's been okay for me to do that all these times. And we don't understand and we submit to him. We find out later there was a reason for it. So we have convictions. And if you have them, abide by them. But Paul says, the one who eats meat shouldn't judge the one who doesn't. And the one who doesn't should judge those who do. And so there are numerous things like that in the Christian walk that you may have the freedom to do. But don't do it in a weak brother's presence. And don't criticize him because he hasn't come to that place yet. We're all different. We're from different places, different walks of life. Every Christian who gets saved for the first experience of his life, we know that there are, there are things he doesn't know are wrong and he's doing them and you see them and you think, oh, he doesn't realize that's wrong. And it takes time. And my father-in-law said the moment he trusted Christ, alcohol left him. But he said, man, I still cursed like a sailor and I was in the Air Force. But he still had a problem with language and it took him a long time to stop all the vile language. Another guy gets saved and something in his life right away changes and something else over here he hadn't got convicted over in the Lord hand so we are all dealt with differently I can't say to you here's the 10 rules that you need to obey to be a good Christian I can say to you get in the book pray and the spirit of God will speak to you about what's right and wrong in your life back to our text because I've rambled enough he says there's one gospel in verse 7 here are Gentiles, he says in verse 7, who follow Paul and Jews who follow people. Peter, excuse me. But contrarize when they say the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed unto me. These are Gentiles. He said, I'm, I'm the guy with a calling to the uncircumcised, the Gentiles. And he says the gospel of circumcision was unto Peter. Peter had a specific calling. He was going to reach Jews. He, he was very influential in the lives of Jewish people. Paul's calling was different. He was reaching Gentiles. And in the next, next few verses next week, we'll find out they clashed a little bit, Peter and Paul. But there are, there are two people... Uh, two people groups, one are the Jews and one are the Gentiles, and they each had a calling to reach the other. Look what he says in verse 8. For he, means the Lord, that wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, the Jews, the same was mighty in me towards the Gentiles. The same Lord energized both of these guys. In fact, the word might here in verse 8 And the word mighty and the word wrought come from the same Greek word energio. We get our word energy from it. 
So the Lord energized Peter to reach the Jews and Paul to reach the Gentiles. But neither of them should have excluded the other. And that's what we find out next week. Peter didn't want to be around the Gentiles much. And when he was, he acted different than when he acted around the Jews. So God had energized them. He had energized them. And so we find here in verse 9 now, these faithful leaders, look what it says, And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship. The right hand is a place of honor, meaning. And so he, and he says that we should go unto the heathen and they unto the circumcision. So finally the apostles accepted Paul and that he was going to the Gentiles. Yet Paul was a high-ranking Jew. I think he'd be effective in reaching Jews, but that wasn't what God called him to do. God knew what was best, and he called him to reach the Gentiles. And so he says here, they gave us the right hand of fellowship. They honored us and realized our calling was different, and he thanked them for it, and he and Barnabas could now go to reach the Jews. Or Gentiles, excuse me. Word, words this morning. Verse 10 only they would that we should remember the poor, the same which I also was forward to do. Why did Paul come to Jerusalem? Remember, Paul raised money in several churches and brought it back to the Jerusalem church to give to the poor. When Barnabas sold his land and gave it to the church, it was to take care of the poor. Did you know we should take care of the poor as well? I know churches that support a lot of missionaries, and that's great. We support 22. We need to support more. But I know that Sometimes a church like that will do everything for their missionaries, and yet they won't help anybody in their community. Do you know we're called to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the world? We have to have a ministry here in our little city, in our county, in our state, in the whole world. We can't just say, let's send missionaries, and the homeless guy around the corner can just stay homeless and hungry. So Paul, he says, remember uh, the poor. He had just helped the poor and he reminded them to remember the poor. Uh, and, and he says here, verse 9, for when James, Cephas, and John. Now, no, you normally see it written Peter, James, and John, don't you? Why is this different? James and John were the sons of Zebedee, fishermen. But James was decapitated in Acts chapter 12. So he's already dead. So this James here is not the same James. This is the Lord's half-brother right here. The one who wrote the book of James. We know that by verse 19 as well before. It says, but other of the apostles saw none save James, the Lord's brother. So this is the Lord's brother James. The other James has already been martyred. Uh, this is him. And James, and it says here in Cephas, that's Peter's Aramaic name. Remember, they had two names. They used one around the Jews and one around the Gentiles. And, and so this is Peter's name, who ministered to the Jews. He's called Cephas, or a rock. And we find about him the first 12 chapters in Acts deal with Peter. So he mentions James, Cephas, and John. John's the one Jesus loved. You know, part of the inner circle. Remember that inner circle, Peter, James, and John. James is now dead, different James. But Peter and John are still alive. And they were part of that inner circle of Jesus. They were at the Mount of Transfiguration. They were in the Garden of Gethsemane, the highest and lowest points. They were there during many great healings where he said everybody stay out and he brought the inner circle in. So here, John's now gotten to know these guys and he's recognized what great, what great men they are. And in fact, these three, and Paul included, wrote 22 of the 27 New Testament books. 
John wrote five books, Peter two, James wrote one, and Paul wrote 13 or 14. We believe probably 14. Luke wrote a couple that he's not mentioned here, but he'll travel with Paul later. But here he refers to these guys, and these are the pillars of the church. And he tells the Jerusalem council, he tells the pillars of the church, he's writing here, and he concludes this section by saying, take care of the poor. I thought it was interesting, I was reading about Billy Graham in his early, early, early years before he was a big evangelist. He and his wife had traveled to a little church to speak. And Billy said they were passing the offering plate and they passed it right to each person individually. And he said, the man stood before me and I got my wallet out. And he said, there was a 10 and a one. So all the money I had was at $11. He said, mistakenly, I put the 10 in. He said, I looked at the plate and I thought, oh no. He said, I got in the car and they didn't give me an offering. I said to my wife, I meant to put the dollar in by mistake. I put the 10. I don't know what we're going to do. She said, the sad thing is God's only giving you credit for the one. Because that's all you want to give. So you gave the 10, don't even get credit from God for it. But, you know, when it comes to giving, sometimes we can be pretty stingy. As I also read this other thing, I thought it was cute, this Trump, Trump. My words are terrible today. I'm quite dizzy today, pray for me. But a tramp was looking for a handout one day in, a, in an old English pub. You know, a pub's a bar. And he's so hungry as to the point of fainting, he stopped by a pub bearing the classic name um, Inn of St. George and the Dudgeon. And the, see, and, the, and the Dragon, I'm sorry. And he, say, he knocks on the door and he says, Please, ma'am, could you spare a bite to eat? He asked the lady who, was in, who answered the knock at the, from the kitchen door a bite to eat. She growled and says, I'm not giving you any money. Get a job. You're lazy. Go clean up and go somewhere else. So he left there and he went down the street a little bit and he looked back at the sign and it said St. George and the dungeon. So he went back and knocked on the door. She came to the door and said, can I speak to St. George please? <laughs> of course there was no St. George. But you know, we tend to resent the poor sometimes. We tend to look condescending on them and that is so wrong. You are blessed to be where you are because of God. We're not any better than them. We can't be disrespectful towards them and be respectful persons. We shouldn't treat James as if one comes into your presence with really fancy clothing. You treat him real good. And then somebody who's dressed like a hobo, you treat him differently. And that is so wrong. That's so wrong. You know, not everyone sitting under a bridge chose to be there. There are many stories out there of people who lost it all. They lost their job and their wife left or their husband left and they found themselves where they couldn't pay the bills, couldn't make ends meet, were forced out of their home and didn't, didn't have money to go somewhere else and they ended up just with a few belongings walking along the interstate hoping for a change in life. And Christians drive by and sometimes we think, I'm better than you. Oh, we're not. Yet, though he was rich, yet he became poor. He lived in this world and didn't have a place to lay his head because he cared for people. And when he called people, he didn't just call a rich guy like Matthew, a tax collector, he also called fishermen, uneducated Peter, James, and John. I love that. These simple fishermen. And he used them because they were willing to be used, and he called people. He wasn't a respecter of persons. And I'm so thankful for that. 
But in closing, let me remind you. We'll get to the practical portions in in Galatians in a few weeks. I love five and six are great books. But Paul is still stating the facts that need to be stated even in today's world. Salvation is by grace alone, by the blood of Jesus Christ alone. Don't ever think that there's something else you have to do to be saved. It's a simple putting your faith in him and he does it all. He does every bit of it. So no matter what your sinful state is, he takes care of it. And you don't need to live the rest of your life in guilt for your past mistakes. Because it's gone. He doesn't have a list. He's forgotten all about it. And it's as far as the east is from the west. And it's in the depths of the sea. And the Bible said one day there'll be no more sea. Your sins are gone. They're gone. He doesn't remember them anymore. And so if he saved you, it's simply by his grace. And there's nothing you can do to be saved. Except trust and depend on him. And if you're here today and you think that you've got to make some big change before you come to the Lord. No, you need to come just as you are. He stands there with his arms wide open. Paul makes it very clear that salvation is simple faith. It's simple. And so many people go to hell because they don't want to accept the simple truth. Others go to hell because they never want to admit they're sinners. John said, if you, say you're a, uh, if, if, if you say you're not a sinner, you're a liar and the truth's not in you. We all sin, don't we? And you struggled every day this week with sin, didn't you? Thank God for his grace, his forgiveness. Let's pray, God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the word from Paul to trust you for our salvation and trust you alone. And Lord, we're also thankful uh, that we... Uh, can live by faith after being saved by faith. And help us to be careful not to offend a weaker brother by using the liberty that we have. Help us not to judge a brother that has a different conviction than we do. We all have different convictions, Lord. The Holy Spirit guides us each differently. He'll touch my heart during the week to do something, see someone, call someone, help someone. And that's, that's what you do for me each week. And I know you do it to each and every person here. You speak to us as individuals, our conscience. And the Holy Spirit just gives us those ideas. And I just pray, God, that we'll be submissive to that. Not to offend people that don't have that freedom. And, you know, not, not, to, not to judge people who don't have the same convictions and ideas. Help us to be like you, Jesus. You say, compel them from the highways and hedges to come into your house. Lord, we want them here. We'll take the homeless, Lord, if you'll save them. We'll take the, the moral outcast, Lord, if you'll save them. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God, and it's not because of what I've done, Lord. It's because of what you've done. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing.